Welcome to The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Family Bridges, the Struggle is Real Relationship Talk special series, all the way from the 2017 NARMI Summit in Denver, Colorado. I'm Veronica Avila. And on this side, Omar Ramos. It's been great in Denver. So this week, we're chatting with some of the most influential relationship experts in the nation, including our resident expert, Dr. Alicia Laos, clinical psychologist, CEO of Family Bridges, and author of The Struggle is Real. Dr. Alicia, welcome once again. Happy to be here. Thank you. Happy to have you. And our topic today is marriage or baby carriage, the new millennial success sequence. For this discussion, we've invited Dr. Alexandra Solomon. She's a clinical psychologist, member of the teaching faculty in the marriage and family therapy graduate program, and also a clinical assistant professor of psychology at the Family Institute at Northwestern University down in Illinois. One of her courses in Northwestern Universities internationally is the internationally renowned Building Loving and Lasting Relationships marriage 101 can't wait to hear about that which combines traditional and experiential learning to educate students about key relational issues like intimacy sex conflict acceptance and forgiveness dr solomon's work has been widely cited and her articles on love and marriage have appeared in the handbook of clinical psychology and other top publications in psychology her work also has appeared on o magazine and the huffington post and she's a frequent interviewee and contributor for the oprah winfrey network yahoo health CBS Early Show, NPR, Psychology Today, and the WGN Morning News. She's also the author of Loving Bravely, 20 Lessons of Self-Discovery to Help You Get the Love You Want. Simply put, she's an expert in modern love. Welcome, Dr. Salomon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So uh, let's begin by defining the success sequence. It was named by Brookings Institution scholars Ron Haskins and Isabel Sahil and has been described as the path into adulthood that is most likely to lead towards economic success and away from poverty. Now, here's an icebreaker. Did you follow the sequence? Are you teaching it? with your kids and why? Dr. Alicia. Yeah, the idea of the success sequence is do college first, get married, and then uh, college, excuse me, or just schooling. And then after you get married, you then have children. And I definitely did. We waited quite a bit, my husband and I, before we had children. And we do. We Our kids are very tiny. They're seven and three. But they definitely hear a lot about how important it is to love well. And part of loving well is commitment. And they also are imbued with the value of education and how important that is. So we certainly certainly speak to them about how important it is to be married and take your time and first go to schooling, do the things that you want to do, live out your dreams and then when you're ready, definitely, you know, be able to form a family and, and the relationship that would allow you to just really enjoy your children later on. Dr. Alexandra? Yeah, we, um, similar story. I, my, I grew up in a family that valued education and definitely did all of my education, married, and we have two children older than yours, 12 and 14. And it feels like the path, like having that security, that commitment, that really sturdy boundary around the two of you before bringing in the additional complexity of children. It's real important. And nowadays, things, the order 
has been changing. But I'd like to share with you some some factual information. There was a study released last month from Wendy Wang and W. Bradford Wilcox of the Institute for Family Studies conducted among millennials ages 28 and 34. It found that millennials are much more likely to flourish financially if they follow the success sequence. While 55% of 28 to 34-year-old millennial parents had their first child before marriage. And then even millennials from low-income families are more likely to flourish if they married before having children. But I ask this to you, Dr. Salomon, why is the order changing and what's causing the shift in the mindset of our young people? Well, so I think this conversation can be a tricky one to have because to me, we have to always keep front and center the big picture, the big economic stressors, political, systemic oppression, racism, sexism, homophobia. Like I think we need to keep all of those big forces in play because I think there's a risk of kind of narrowing down and kind of focusing in a micro way on individual choices and decontextualizing people. So it's I want to make sure that I try to hold on to that both and, you know, and that it's really important that we don't just sort of stick these policies on people without also addressing and honoring the need for true, like social security, economic support, really showing how, why these things are the way they are, rather than I think there's a risk of sort of blaming people for the individual choices they make in a decontextualized way. But I think in general, there's just a, what I see a lot when I work with millennials and talk with millennials is a, is a fear of commitment. The idea that commitment is going to slow you down, holds mm. you back, rather than commitment and partnership being like the two of us together are going to kind of go out and tackle the world. And I'm going to back you up and you're going to back me up. And I think that is um, sort of a vibe or an energetic that we see among millennials that I think contributes to this mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Well, great discussion. So we're going to go ahead and move forward. And we want to invite you to listen into a little skit that we have here today for you and our audience as uh, tapped into today's podcast. This is called MRS degree. And it sounds a little bit like this. So I'm, yeah, I'm doing it for a history class. Oh, I love history. Really? I find it kind of boring and impractical. Well, yeah, it certainly can be. You're a math major, right? Yeah, I'm in the engineering department. How about you? Oh my God, I love engineering. Yeah, it's really fun just solving problems. Sorry, sorry. what did you say you study? Oh, I'm getting my MRS degree. What? MRS degree? Mrs. Degree? Got it? You haven't heard that before? No, I've never heard that before. So wait, do you not have a major? Of course I have a major. What's yours? I study chemistry. Wow, me too. Really? Who's your advisor? Mr. Knuckle. Did you just look at your knuckle and come up with a fake name? No. There's no Mr. Knuckle in the chemistry department. I meant Mr. Silver. Oh, okay, there, there is a Mr. Silver, but I'm pretty sure you just looked at the silverware. So you don't want to work after school. I've been going to school for 17 plus years. Why would I want to work a 9 to 5 right afterwards? Well, why don't I get to do that? You're a guy? No offense, but that seems kind of sexist. You can't tell me what's sexist. You're a dude. (laughs) So wait, you don't have a major? I study education, okay? It's because I love kids. But do you really? I mean, they are the future or whatever. It doesn't sound like you really like them. I do. I used to tutor this kid. His name was Shaker. Sally Shaker. You just looked at the salt shaker. 
All right, so that's deep. <laughs> that's a lot going on there. <laughs> okay, so we got some uh, laughs out of this for sure. Uh, so we just heard Angela, a college student desperately seeking a husband to take care of her financially. Dr. Lisa Laos, here's the question once again: How common is this, and why is this happening? I don't know if it's that common nowadays. I know way back that was kind of the idea, you know, or a lust made fun of. You go to college to get the MRS degree. I haven't heard that of late. I don't know, Dr. Solomon, you're in the university setting. You you would know more. I haven't either. In fact, sometimes I feel like what I do is the opposite. Like I feel like I'm talking to young men and women who are so driven around their careers and sort of get into these patterns of hooking up and sort of like situationships or ambiguous relationship statuses for a deep fear that if they fall in love, it's going to knock them off course and that they can't kind of figure out how you could love somebody and also have a career. So I feel like sometimes I'm trying to kind of pull them back towards like sort of selling this idea of it's okay to love. Like it's okay to mm. to bring somebody into your life and to kind of sacrifice a little bit of your individuality to make a really neat we. And there's lots of cool things that come from a we. So she's not a gal that I know very well, the gal in this skit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's out there for sure. I think the idea that a writer's had here where some of these young women that want the easier path to financially secure future. But I don't know if it's that common anymore. Well, but you know, the the, the thing of it, I, mean, I, guess, I guess the message I would want to say to a young woman who has this, I mean, certainly the, the gender narratives are ingrained in all of us to some extent. Really, what I want to raise awareness about is just the difficulty of that happening, right? So today, for every two college degrees that are given to men, there are three given to women. And at this point in time, a full 40% of households are female breadwinner households. And my mm-hmm. entire practice, basically, of couples are couples, for my heterosexual couples, she's thriving. She's kicking booty and he's struggling. So I think it's maybe this skit represents kind of like an effort to swing the pendulum back or yeah. a fantasy of kind of swing. The, but I think those days are so far gone. We can't even really even see them in the rearview mirror. They're so Interesting, far gone. fascinating stuff. Whatever happens in your life, the sequence can obviously change. That's part of our next scenario called It's Never Too Late. Let's have a listen. Hey, Devra, do you have five minutes? Yeah, sure, Mom. What do you need? So my registration time for classes begins in five minutes. Okay, what are you taking? I don't know. I mean, I've been looking at the courses and there's just so many. I don't know where to start. Mom, your registration starts in five minutes. I didn't know where to start. Okay, well, what do you like doing? Well... When you were younger and you went to school, I always liked listening to books on tape while I did stuff around the house. Well, uh, what were these tapes about? Oh, everything. Well, that doesn't get us anywhere. Okay. Well, a lot of them were biographies. Biographies of who? Mm, I read... You listened. Oh, you shush. Okay. There was the one on JFK, the Lincoln Letters. Okay, sounds like you like politics. Well, there was also the ones on Audrey Hepburn and, ooh, the Ringo Starr story. Did you know he was the oldest member of the Beatles? Well, those all seem based around entertainment. Maybe you should take a theater class. Oh, no. I don't like performing. Ugh, this is so hard. Maybe I shouldn't go to college. Mom, you deserve to get a higher education. No, I'm just being silly. Mom. How old were you when you had me? I was your age when I had you. Well, clearly, you want to learn. If you're not listening to your books on tape, you've always had a book in your hand. You're always sharing facts you learn. Like how woolly mammoths still roamed the earth when they built the pyramids. See? How did you pick your classes? 
you know how I always like fixing stuff around the house? I just figured I should be an engineer. Remember when you took apart the vacuum cleaner? Yeah, I looked like I got in some kind of explosion. Or when you fixed the blender. Mom, that's it. The blender? I could have a smoothie. No, not a smoothie. History. Hmm. You're already like a little historian of our family with your scrapbooks and photo collections. Plus, you clearly loved reading about the presidents. History? Yeah. Well, you gotta log in and sign up or you'll be history. One bit of history I've forgotten. What internet do I get on? It's the regular one. You're okay. on it. Oh. Already? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Okay, so uh, we're back, and we just heard Laura, or Laura, a mom who decided to go back to college now that her daughter, Deborah, is also a college student. Besides the fact that we've learned that it's never too late to go back to school, what other elements can we take from this scenario mm. that it could be overwhelming, maybe? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. This is a story that I definitely, a number of my college students, you know, part of taking my class is they go to their families and kind of learn their families' love stories and kind of explore the sort of templates they grew up with in order to better understand who they are. And very often my students have usually moms who put themselves through school sort of later in life. And inevitably, it becomes a story of resilience. And my student, the student in my classroom, has a sense of pride in how hard her mom worked while also holding on to kind of like, I think the coolest way is when a mom can hold that like both and of I'm resilient for doing this and you may want to do this differently. This is a harder path for you. So kind of how to hold on to like the pride that, sh- that mom is doing it now, while also mom being able to say to daughter, listen, here's why this was harder and here's what I didn't know and here's what I want you to know from my story. Mm-hmm. There's so much that kids can learn from the complexity of their parents' struggles. So that's, that's one thing that stands out to me is this daughter clearly can stay connected to her mom and her mom's not kind of like lost in her own shame about what she's doing now. Uh, hopefully the daughter can take away a sense of you know, resilience from that. Mm. For the parents that are listening, that may feel inadequate to ask their kids to do the right uh, success sequence because they themselves didn't follow it. Mm-hmm. What can you tell them? I would just, I would name that as shame and that shame is one of those feelings that takes us out of connection. And so I would want to encourage that mom to kind of have her own place where she can kind of get support, validation and be like, go girl, (laughs) like that's amazing. So that she can look eye to eye at her kids and stand in the truth of her story, not be lost in her shame and say, I would like you to do it differently than I did it. And I'm resilient as heck. Like, look what I'm doing. So, and she may need her, she may need her own peer group. So I wouldn't want her to turn to her daughter in order to get that validation. I'd want her to have her own peer group. That was the one thing that was strange in the skit a little Uh bit, that it felt like a role reversal. The daughter almost felt like the parent, Mm -hmm. you know, because she had that shame script, like that sense of insecurity when I go to school, but I'm not sure. And I'm a little bit overwhelmed. And that to me feels like the role of the mom that towards a daughter and so you see that being rolled reversed. Not to negate the fact that children and daughters can definitely be of great support system as well to parents. Let's not negate that. It's just something that feels wrong at a, some level that you as a parent would want to be the one that coaches your children, not that they be the one that counsel you mm-hmm. and get you to that level of strength and resilience that you need to take to the next level so we'd want that and so I think your point is very valid as a parent as a mom as a single mom you might have your own insecurity issues or shame you might want to work through that so that you don't pass that on to your children and they're not burned by trying to be a therapist to you yeah 
Yeah, but that's there's a new study out of Harvard from this summer about just how the findings suggest that 70% of young adults wish their parents would talk to them more about relationships, relationship struggles. Yeah. And in the article was um, the researchers were highlighting the fact that sometimes parents shame about their own relationship quote unquote failures mm. blocks that commu- communication. And what if instead parents trusted that even from failure they can offer there's so much that we oh, yeah. we, lo- we learn from our own failures that we can offer our kids around our quote unquote failures. But yeah, I hear you. On that under the boundary think, issue. I think, though, what you. happens is I don't know the study, but I wonder if it's because they're not telling the whole story. It's a blocking. You just kind of summarize it and say, I went through this, and you miss the conflict. Mm-hmm. So you don't go through the real painful experience where they're being able to pull out empathy and then build the lesson learned. Usually it's like, I had you too early. I shouldn't have done that. Now I'm doing it well. And then happily ever after. And it's kind of like there was no learning and no empathy, no opportunity to really see your soul and your experience. Mm -hmm. And so as parents, we're busy. We're just kind of like, get over it, move on, you know, and we turn the page quickly and we don't tell the whole story. I love that. I think that's really true. Yeah, that fits. There you go. That's a, it's a lesson that you can provide your own kids. So go for it. All right. So we're talking about lessons. We're going to go ahead and uh, move forward. And this is an excellent segue. This is called Jean's Life Plan. Welcome to my tea party, Mother. Thank you for having me. Mr. Puffin Stuff, this is my mother. Mother, this is Mr. Puffin Stuff. Pleasure to meet you. Mr. Puffin Stuff works in pharmaceuticals. Oh, that's, well, um, interesting line of work. It's so nice having company over. I'm sorry that my place is such a mess. Oh, nonsense. I love your dining table. Thank you. You know I got it for a very good price. Um, what? So how's things with Alfred at the hospital? You mean, Dad? How's things in the OR? Good. Good. I swear, I can't wait until Jeffrey finishes med school and can begin something with more regular hours. Right. So, how did you and Jeffrey meet again? We met in a biology prerequisite. He always had his hand raised. Me too. But he went on to be a doctor, and now I'm a creative director. So you met in college? Yes, that's right. We got engaged our senior years when we decided to both move to the city. Really? Yes, I had a paid internship, and he was starting grad school. Where's the internship? Wall Street. Don't look at me like that. I know it has a reputation, but I don't do any of the bad stuff. Either way, I'm going to apply for more practical applications for my math background. I'll be honest, this is kind of freaking me out. What? You're talking like a real adult. It's like you have everything all planned out. I bet you know what silverware we're using. Mom, I'm just playing make-believe. There you go. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we heard Jean and her mom, Pamela, having a conversation over tea. Jean was talking to her mother about her boyfriend, Jeffrey, possibly retelling her parents' story. At least that's what it sounded to me. How do we teach them what a loving and lasting relationship is as parents? 
Well, yeah, I mean, this she sounds real familiar <laughs> to me. <laughs> this is my entire, you know, it's it's the blessing and curse of being really bright and ambitious and driven when you are little is the entire culture will kind of like collude around you to, to map out the next 30 years of your life. And there's a beauty to that, to seeing people kind of unfold and be ambitious and be empowered and carve their path. And there's sort of like making space for the bumps in the road. You thought it was going to be this, but then you get to college and this whole other world opens up for you. And so it's this kind of like difficult thing where I think we need to give our kids a sense of structure and also um, flexibility that you think you know now. And very few of us stay in the very first career that we find. So that's, I think, the line that parents walk is how to listen to their kids, support their ambition, support their drive, and make enough space to be able to kind of say that sometimes plans change and what you thought you wanted can be different and for parents to keep in check their own projections like that whole thing about I never got to go to nursing school and you are going to become a nurse you know you're going to fulfill my unfulfilled dream I think that's another that happens a lot it happens a lot Yeah, this year I was talking to my students about, I do a whole unit on parenting and was talking about, in my view, the the job of the parent, part of the work of the parent is to kind of contain and process your own stuff so you don't spill it onto your kids. And my students were like, really? Because my parents have been doing that to me for a year. I mean, it's yeah. so common, but it was yeah. kind of a, a new idea that maybe yeah. that shouldn't have been what happened, that their parents just told them, well, you ought to be doing this and you ought to be doing this and you ought to be doing this. Right. To try to live out their own dreams that perhaps they missed out on. You know, going back to the introduction at the very beginning, one of the things that you talked about was some of the other social cultural components and systems in place that don't really allow the success type of or make it difficult for some folks to follow the success sequence. So in this case, she's got a script, you know, she's listening to different tones. You almost hear her like a little adult. She's probably picked it up from her mom or mm-hmm. other adults in her life. And it's, it's very clear that that expectation is, has been voiced somewhere along. So many of the kids we work with, that's not the script mm-hmm. that they're listening to. The conditions in their neighborhood, the violence, that's not the next thing to do. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it speaks to the need to have um, examples and role models and access. I, I love that um, Northwestern is doing a ton to bring it, to make sure that they're actively recruiting first-generation college students, right? So students who didn't grow up in families where they saw people going off to college. And I think it really is incumbent upon our universities, our institutions to be kind of available and visible and so that um, young people, no matter where they are and the amount of resources they have when they're five, six, seven, that they can see a path towards from A to B. There's an issue around just visibility and hope and having mentorship. And here are the things we put in place now early on to kind of support you going from one stage to the next stage. But it's so, complicated. It's yeah. Really so compl- in this case, we're not just saying that the problem is the family systemically. Oh, no, God, no. Mm-hmm. That institutions also need to step in and evangelize the education path as well and provide different pathways for that to occur. And really practical, like really the, sometimes the university also does a lot of things about supporting first-generation college students just around really practical things, moving into a dorm, having the supplies you need, how to register, all these kinds of things that if they haven't been part of their family, their their, cult, their community culture, and if they can't turn to their parents through no fault of their parents' own for those kinds of things, that the university is really stepping in proactively and making sure that first-generation students don't fall through 
the cracks once I get to campus, right? So there's the getting there and then there's the getting through. And then completing. And then finishing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the support, the support is needed all along the way, for yeah. sure. Fascinating stuff. So before we let you go, uh, here at NARMI 2017, we know that you're teaching a workshop called Inside of the Hookup Culture, Understanding Relation Dilemmas Facing Millennials, a dating world of hookups, friends, and with benefits and other ambiguous relationships. Can you expand a little bit more on this? Yeah, we're going to, um, well, I'll spend an hour and a half sort of breaking down and identifying cultural factors that are kind of creating the situation. I mean, the, basically, the, the bottom line is that the rate of entry into marriage is lower than in year pa years past, and the age of entry into marriage is older, right? So marriage is much more now capstone instead of a cornerstone. So oftentimes people are, like we were saying in the beginning, right, getting their educations under, under their bellies and really getting their footing before they marry which is sort of neither here nor there. But what it means is we have this long period of time that no generation has had before between sexual maturity and marriage. And so what are people going to do with those years? And rather than going through entire sort of love stories of dating, falling in love, being together and breaking up, there's a collusion around the fear of pain, the fear of heartbreak, the fear of going through that. So opting instead for trying to keep things really easy breezy, really no drama, trying not to catch feelings. And there's consequences to that as well. So we're going to kind of name the consequences. And I, and I try to, as a 40-something, talking about a generation that is not my own, I try to invite a lot of shades of gray so it doesn't just sound like an older person evangelizing to the younger generation, you know? Yeah, so yeah. kind of trying to understand the contextual factors that are creating this and then helping young adults have the internal tools they need to really articulate where their boundaries are and what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And that comes from within and it comes from having a network of parents who are, you know, affirming healthy choices. You just talk about boundaries. How can parents help their kids set relational boundaries to help them stay on track in whatever their life plan is? Yeah. One thing is by managing their own fear. I think parents oftentimes lead with fear. And the fear makes so much sense as a parent of a teenager and an almost teenager. Like, I totally get the fear. But it's, again, what we were saying before about parents having space to, like, metabolize the fear, talk about it with your girlfriends, talk about it with your guy friends, get the support you need so that when you come into a space with your kid, you can be really open hearted and really curious and get kind of shoulder to shoulder with your kid and look together at the complicated issues of like rates of marriage, what's happening with love, how do you, you know, what's happening with apps. So being real curious and opening up a lot of conversation, the goal of which is to help kids hear themselves better, right? Because by the time our kids are teens, we really are becoming much more consultants and coaches than in charge of their choices. So being a consultant or a coach means putting ourselves kind of side by side and looking at all these dilemmas for which there aren't any super easy answers. Fascinating stuff. Well, thank you both. We would like to thank you so much for sharing your expertise and knowledge with us. Any closing thoughts, Dr. Alicia? Yeah, I think we need to look at it. There's some individual choices, of course, that we need to be mindful and teach our kids that will lead to just a healthier well-being for them in the future. They're going to have more opportunities economically, financially, if they're able to take slow things down, not speed things up in relationships and get themselves tied down the carriage before marriage that oftentimes really just doesn't allow for people to flourish as much. And then for parents who have done it, you know, like you mentioned, we want to honor their resilience, their strength, and just their fortitude about being able to push through and succeed 
against immeasurable odds, you know, because mm-hmm. it's hard to do. And they're heroes for their children. But that we can still hold both things together, that we can still hold the value of how wonderful it is that you're resilient and you're able to push through that and succeed it in spite of the odds, while at the same time saying, you know, there's another way that might have not be as hard. And of course, our kids are going to make their own choices. Okay. That's the way it is. But we can still teach some of the things we learned by research as well, some of the things that we hold dear because of our values. And, and it's important to teach our kids to talk about it because today's culture doesn't teach that, these principles. It's just kind of like very ambiguous. So we do need to have conversations with our children about why it's important to do things in order, education, you know, marriage and family. Thank you for that. Well, thank you both for being with us. Dr. Solomon, where can we find you online? www.dralexandrasolomon.com and on Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. And my book is available wherever wherever books are sold. <laughs> Good. Thank you very much for being with us again. Thank you. That wraps up the episode of The Struggle is Real as part of the Relationship Talk series. Um, make sure to download the Struggle is Real app so that you're on top of all of our conversations. That's right. Listen to our next episode, Preparing Them for Puppy Love. When should your child start dating? That's going to be with special guest Dr. John Vanette. It'll be very interesting. So for blogs, tips, and more, follow us on social media using the hashtag The Struggle is Real or simply hashtag TSIR. Also get the Family Bridges app for more resources. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Omar Ramos. And I'm Veronica Avila. Till next next time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com. 